Welcome to the On-Premise IT Roundtable podcast, the only show that dares to be both on topic and usually on location. Each time we meet, we bring together a group of IT luminaries to discuss a single concept relevant to the data center today. Today, we're talking composability and how composability is just ready to swoop in and save the data center from the cloud. First, let's meet our guests. Hello, my name is David Klee. I'm lucky enough to be a Microsoft Data Platform MVP and a VM, VMware V expert, and I am the founder of Heroflux Technologies. Hello, everyone. My name is George Wagner. I'm a uh, Novell uh, 4.0 CNE and uh, currently uh, run tech and product marketing for Liquid. Hi, my name is Frederick Van Heren. I'm the founder of HiFence, which is active in the HPC and AI markets, and my background is in uh, speech technology. So all of us are part of the AI Field Day event, and we heard Liquid present uh, a composability for AI applications, and that's all well and good, but I think a lot of us are thinking, wow, this is how everybody thinks computers work and kind of how computers might work in the future. And I think one of the things that people love about the cloud is sort of the dynamism of, of, of being able to have basically software-defined infrastructure. Seems like composability is doing that. Uh, George, maybe you can kick us off by just sort of what is composable infrastructure and why should we be excited about it? Sure, so I, I kind of like taking it a step back and say, okay, for the last you know, 15, 20 years, we've been, we've been, uh, we've been using great software like virtualization uh, and more recently uh, Kubernetes to take it and make our hardware easier to provision, easier to scale, easier to manage. Um, but, but underneath that, we're still, we've still been, uh, that's all consuming the same kind of static hardware uh, that's been ex in existence for you know 30 plus years. I was in IT in the 90s and early 2000s. It really hasn't much changed except for it's just faster and bigger. Uh, it's, it takes a long time to deploy. Uh, it takes uh, a long, it's difficult to scale and it's not very efficient. Those are three areas where the cloud has excelled, right? So what composability does is it enables uh, folks in the data center and earlier today talking about AI uh, and HPC, allowing those people to, those organizations to uh, essentially create bare metal servers to meet any workload need via software. Uh, and scale just as simply as you can in the cloud, but be able to do it on-prem, the edge. And we even have data center uh, uh, cloud customers who use this as their infrastructure. Yeah, I, I totally agree with that. I think if you look at the public clouds, that's exactly what they're doing for you. They present to you a composable framework where you compose how big your local disk will be, what the resources are. And that's one of the selling points of the public cloud. And a lot of people find that very attractive. And you know, using Liquid kind of gives you the ability to, to do it all yourself. I mean, one of the challenges you have with, with certainly with AI workloads is that they're not all the same. They all required a little bit different. And that's where com composability in general makes it very, very useful. And then secondly, there's always the, the acquisition cost, right? A lot of people want to go to the public cloud because they prefer the OPEX model versus a CAPEX model, which is really understandable considering the evolution of how fast GPU cards evolve and GPU um, technology evolves to the point where the depreciation, you know, meaning the CAPEX model really doesn't, doesn't fit the bill. So having the ability to use composable technology 
to create a higher efficiency of your investment is definitely a plus. That's the biggest thing for me. It's the efficiency and the speed of being able to change the environment as you need it. You know, cloud. You you see it all the time. People go there. It's it's it moves at the speed of a business, not IT, because IT has historically just been a real pain. <laughs> you know, you need a new server, even in VM. You put in a provisioning request. It takes them a week to get to it. There have been a lot of attempts to automate and streamline on-prem operations, but none of them have really gotten there. I mean, look at the attempts over the last 10 years. They fall flat. There are a few recently where you can do cloud-based automation on-prem, but you're still limited by the hardware that you're on. I love composable infrastructures because now I can move the infrastructure at the speed of business because it's possible. It's never been possible before. But let me be the devil's advocate here as a longtime enterprise tech guy. Uh, frankly, um, a lot of this sort of dynamism in the data center is maybe oversold. I mean, I, I don't remember it being a problem to not be able to reconfigure servers dynamically. I mean, maybe I'm just an old coot, but uh, you know, do 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 people really need to dynamically recompose and 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 reconfigure and restructure their servers uh, in the data center? Or is that just more of a cloud thing for you? That all these young whippersnappers. I claim they do. Uh, in my world, I move data around a lot. I need to validate data. I need to process it in certain places. And quite frankly, it's not the act of changing just to make change. It's the act of I need a ton of compute right now over there. And then I'm going to move the data over here. And now I need a ton of RAM so that I can analyze it. And I need really fast storage so that I'm not waiting a month to analyze it. But then when I'm done processing it, you know, all that can go back to the pool for another week or month or whatever the window is that I'm processing on. And to be able to essentially do what virtualization did a couple, you know, a couple of decades ago, but do it better, I'm making more and more efficient use of a more tightly controlled set of compute resources. I'm able to be more efficient with it, more strategic with it. I move it around where it's needed, pull it away when I'm not. I think it's also how, how hardware is purchased today, right? I mean, years ago, people would have an application, they would have a need and they would size it and then buy a specific piece of hardware and that specific piece of hardware would be redundant once the application was not being used anymore. Now, although hardware is, is generally cheaper, there's also more need to do processing, right? So AI is a good example where, where you, you know, a few servers is, isn't enough to do reasonable AI. You need a much larger amount of hardware. And so you start to change your purchase behavior where you buy many more servers of the same. And in some cases, you know, you keep your old server. So you end up with a situation where you have a three-year-old, a two-year-old and a one-year-old rack of servers and all of that needs to work. So I, I do think that also the purchasing and the, the way people purchase hardware has changed. Yeah, or in my world, the business has changed so much that the hardware they spent a crazy amount of money on six months ago isn't keeping up. We've got companies that buy other companies. We've got data demands that are going through the roof. We've got analytics that are coming out of nowhere to reprocess data that they've been looking at for years, just in a new way. I need that flexibility because it's a lot easier to adjust a composable environment than 
go buy another 90 or 100 core machine, spin it up, rack it, burn it in, migrate everything over just to be able to do it again in six months to a year. Yeah, and I would say, uh, you know, in the, in the last year, the you know, obviously with COVID, everyone's working from home. Oh, I'm not. I'm actually I've been in the office for about a year now. Uh, but uh, it's changed the way a lot of people are working. And when you have uh, knowledge workers who need to do work from home and they require perhaps GPU, uh, you know, as an IT guy, you don't have to go out and, and re-outfit your data center with new servers. Why not just go out and get GPUs and compose them into the servers you have? And so uh, we've talked to a lot of customers who you know, made those investments before COVID and they don't want to go out and buy. They've actually done it with Blades. So we can actually plug into Blades uh, as well. So it's, it, it's not just about building new servers, but you know, as, as you both mentioned, it's about uh, you know, kind of changing the buying habit uh, from everything being focused around purchasing uh, a CPU with all the other hardware around it and just buying the resources you need now when you need them and composing them and pulling them out when you don't. It's all about the change. I mean, in, in IT, the only constant is constant change. And to have an environment that can change with the business instead of fighting it at every tooth and nail, I love it. I love the concept. I can't wait until we can really see much more global adoption of this. But, I mean, doesn't this sound like the pitch for virtualization? I mean, you know, oh, you want flexibility? Okay, well, that's what the hypervisor's for. That's what everybody's using in the data center. I'm going to wear out my devil's advocate shoes here. Um, how about we uh, just virtualize? Uh, oh, wait, we already did. So is this really a uh, compelling uh, option? Sure, because if I buy equipment today, six months from now, if the workload is doubled, does the platform that the virtual machine resides on, does that have enough compute resources? Most of the time, I'm not able to go comfortably or easily add a handful of CPUs or another GPU or some faster network adapters easily. With composable infrastructure, buy another tray of disks, buy another tray of memory, simply link it up, expand into it. This is another, another great uh, advantage of it is that, you know what happens when, in a traditional infrastructure with virtualization when you run out of capacity, compute or storage or accelerators, you need to buy another server. And when you do that, you get more sockets. And when you have more sockets, you got more license. So if I can just add resources into my existing server, if I'm not, if I'm not compute constrained from a CPU perspective, um, I can add any resources I need to it and save, uh, save the VMware tax, so to speak. It's not just VMware. Look at relational database licensing is usually by the core. What if I need more RAM and not more cores? You're stuck. Yeah, I do think it creates an abstraction layer also for people consuming the infrastructure, right? So in AI, you might start small and you might need to add more resources to it. And you can do this in a, in a dynamic fashion such that, that you don't really need to reach out to an IT person to help you and reconfigure the hardware. So, I mean, in, kind of referring to what Steven said earlier about virtualization, I think virtualization was the one of the first few steps towards this kind of model, right? And the model will keep on keep on involving to the point where you can just buy a bunch of hardware and then you can slice and dice it the way you want it. And then you, obviously it's not just an infrastructure perspective. You need to slice and dice and provide the capabilities 
from a software perspective as well, which is, you know, Kubernetes comes into play and that what Kubernetes helps you kind of look at the changing, the changing hardware platforms, or at least what it has access to, and then says, okay, now I can deploy, you know, my Kubernetes cluster, here's what I can, the, the, the pods I can deploy here, the applications, and, and keep on doing that. So I think it's, it's just an evolutionary process. Exactly. I mean, I look at, you know, the, the big iron uh, servers as an evolution beyond mainframes. Virtualization is just mainframes with commodity equipment. Containers is the next evolution of virtualization, just literally virtualize it without the OS. And now this is a really good next step beyond that. So it's, it's beyond virtualization. I love it. So to put on my devil's advocate shoes, I know this is going to be unusual for you to hear. Um, how about the cloud? I mean, is the cloud supposed to be this? I mean, the, the, the cloud is the going to save, save the infrastructure because instead of having to buy things, you can basically go rent whatever you need whenever you need it, use it for as long as you need it, and then you're done, right? What if you need it for more than a few minutes at a time and that nifty little thing called a credit card comes due? <laughs> Cloud is a fantastic tool. It's a wonderful use case when the tool requires that level of abstraction, or maybe the business cases, I need something right now, I spin it up for a day or two, I tear it back down. No problem. When you look at the economies of scale with on-prem and a lot of these really high-powered use cases, you're spending an order of magnitude more in the cloud than if you did it on-prem. I love the cloud. I, you know, To me, cloud is virtualization with really good automation on top in somebody else's data center. But when I'm looking at these big environments that I need all the time going forward, even though I need to move stuff around, it's a whole lot cheaper to do it on-prem. Yeah, I would, I would say two things. Uh, I think that both virtualization and the cloud were reactions to the fact that uh, data centers are inefficient, slow, and, and, and hard to scale, right? That's, that's part of it. Uh, so those are those are you know those are both reactions to that. However, there's also the security part of things, right? In the cloud, you don't have control, right? So you look at what happened to Parler uh, within AWS. Uh, we I talked to a lot of the analysts uh, frequently. They said that the number of phone calls they had with their larger clients who were at, or trying to find ways to get out of the cloud have grown exponentially uh, since that particular uh, event occurred. Uh, so this. You know, we have those conversations. Uh, it is kind of like, okay, what what is it? Okay, well, basically, imagine you have cloud benefits on prem, as far as you know, quick, quick to quick to quick to deploy, quick to scale, uh, efficient, and by the way, it's yours. Oh, okay, interesting. But yeah, that's those are the two things I would say. Yeah, I think the public cloud is great for standard resources, and as David said. You know anything you need for a longer period of time it's it's not a technical question it's it's a it's a cost challenge but another reason why staying on on premises and and using composable um, technologies is is data gravity i mean in the end you're still moving data around and although the public cloud provides a lot of flexibility there is there is there is a significant cost for moving data between regions, egress, or actually multiple clouds. And in some cases you don't have a choice, right? So sometimes 
you might need to change geographical location for GDPR, whatever the reason. And in the end, if you have something more composable, you have more control over your destiny, not only from a technical perspective, but also from a cost perspective. All right. So we've decided that this makes sense in the data center and we've decided that it has some advantages over virtualization. We've decided that it even has some advantages over the cloud. Uh, what are the proper applications for this? Uh, what, what are the ideal use cases for composable infrastructure? I mean, certainly we heard about AI today and, and I think a lot of people can get on board with that because I think a lot of us are used to the challenges of, uh, trying to plug in enough GPU resources where we need them in order to do, uh, you know, model training or something. What, are, what else is uh, composability useful for? I can see it as really the modern data center. You know, essentially the business is always changing. So dynamic environments, you know, hosting providers, businesses that have a lot of growth, uh, anything that's dealing with large volumes of data, moving data around processing analytics, any, anything where you're dealing with large sets of stuff, processing, compute, anything like that, especially where you may only need it for short periods of time, but you need it on a good periodic basis. Yeah, I would say uh, I would absolutely agree with David and uh, kind of like we talked about this earlier, Stephen, is I think many of the general purpose data center use cases are kind of downstream from, uh, you know, AI, HPC, et cetera. I think you're going to see it become more commoditized over time and move into uh, general data center. We've been talking to customers uh, who are interested in this for, you know, any use case. Uh, and it's, uh, you know, from databases, uh, virtualization, uh, AI, even at POC prototype levels for small organizations who are looking to start something small and grow it. Uh, but yeah, I see this really being something that's uh, that's going to that's going to become uh, ubiquitous here in the next few years. I mean, it's it's still pretty new, but it'll take a, it'll take a little bit of time. But I see this. I, I I'm pretty uh, convinced it'll be such. Yeah, I think it's it's also, you know, besides the dynamic applications, which which doesn't have to be AI, it's also the the ability to share infrastructure across the organization. Not not every piece in the organization needs uh, infrastructure, you know, 24 seven, some of them might need something for a couple of days. I'm just thinking my experience every time it was the end of the quarter, you know, there's a lot of, uh, spreadsheets action going on and a lot of number crunching where, uh, the Oracle systems were then hammered and it would have been nice, I guess, for them, if they had some kind of flexibility where they could expand a little bit, their Oracle, uh, environment and then reduce it afterwards. So I think it's 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 flexibility, dynamic behavior, but it's definitely not limited to AI. I think AI just by nature is is a is a perfect fit. But I think in general, anything that is dynamic will 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 take advantage from uh, composable. Yeah, I'd say anything that's dynamic and that's aggressive in its resource consumption. You know, we've got some environments, um, you know, the American holidays go crazy with, you know, capitalism and watching the way their systems just get abused for two and a half, three months out of the year. And the rest of the year, they're nice and quiet. They can repurpose that, do other things with it, scale it back down accordingly. But isn't, 
isn't that right there just the argument for the cloud i don't know maybe enough enough of the devil's advocate stuff it's a great use for the cloud until you start looking at the price tag and when you hit that level of scale it's cheaper it's order of magnitude cheaper to stay on prem and have the staff that know how to manage it you know for the pieces that you still have to manage yeah, it strikes me that the cloud is amazing for workloads that are smaller than a machine, but becomes challenging for workloads that are much, much bigger than a machine. And, um, you know, so for a normal human uh, the, and, and for normal people's applications, the cloud is inc incredible. But, uh, yeah, once you start getting really big, it starts getting beyond the capabilities there and you start uh, choking on the price. Um, but it occurs to me, too, that this is the direction the industry is heading in. Um, you know, we've heard about CXL and uh, we've heard about the fact that uh, next generation servers are going to have this, this new capability, but I'm not sure people are really aware of what that is. I wonder, I don't know, George, if you're the right person to say it, but sort of what is coming down the pike from the next generation of infrastructure, not specifically liquid, but yeah. sort of compute infrastructure? Sure, sure, yeah. I think there's, you know, it's, uh, for those who don't know, uh, a lot of what makes uh, composability work under the covers is is PCIe, right? It's PCIe bus, essentially what's happening is, you know, we're, we're extending the PCIe bus outside of the, of the server and across the data center, you know, essentially turning the data center into a massive, you know, compute pool, right, and, and storage pool. Uh, and that And that only became possible with uh, PCIe Gen 3. And so that's uh, 16 uh, gigabytes per second bandwidth. Um, and, and Gen 4 is even better, right? So 32 gigs uh, per second. But with, with Gen 5, we're now at 64. Uh, and that unlocks a whole new level of possibility around cache coherency uh, in the ability to do things like compose memory. Because uh, the, the, the one limitation that composability has across the industry is that you cannot you cannot currently compose uh, RAM, right? It's your compute your compute uh, element is CPU and memory. What CXL will allow you to do is is have a compute and memory, but have a small amount of memory on the server, and then uh, with CXL it's called compute uh, link interconnect, uh, and it rides on uh, PCIe Gen five and includes like three protocols. I think one is for I/O. Right, so CPU once for cache and once for memory. So uh, allows coherent uh, memory access. And what that's going to allow people to do is uh, take and create and have they'll have pools of uh, DDR5 memory in their data center that they can then take and uh, you know, compose into the servers. And and once that happens, you know, it's it's going to be crazy. Um, but that's for those of you who who have not who have maybe heard the term CXL. That is what it is. It's not uh, part and parcel from Gen 5. It's part of Gen 5. It rides the technology. Um, and that's really going to open up a lot of a lot of opportunity. Have, uh, David and Frederick, have you guys heard of what's coming down the pike with CXL or is this news to you? I've heard pieces of it and I've done mm -hmm. a lot of research in R&D and I'm really excited about it, mostly because it is, in my opinion, the future of the modern data center. You know, I, I love the fact that we can now add what we need right before we need it, and we're good. I just, I love it. Yeah, I think I've, I've you know, it's, I think it's, 
it's more important sometimes to have more access to memory than to storage, right? And I think, and to be honest, I almost look like storage, like a, a, a like a secondary tier compared to memory, right? So ideally, the holy grail is that storage doesn't exist, but that you have enough persistent memory in your server that you never have to reach out to something else. So there's there's it's it's obvious that something had to gravitate towards something where you had access to to more more memory in a server i mean to a certain degree i think some some ai workloads are actually split across multiple servers not because they wanted more cpu processing but just they wanted access to more memory and for that reason they were splitting their workloads into multiple servers so i do think that's that's moving in the right direction right i'm i'm i definitely want to see you know 10 petabytes of memory accessible in a single server you know i would definitely know what to do with it but i think that's that's really where where the next you know call it the bottleneck if you wish you know we at some point cpus were kind of relatively slow compared to gpus fpgas uh, then storage you know we had the spindles we had uh, flash SSDs, NVMEs, and now I think it's the, the time for, for memory to get this uh, time under the limelight. That's a great point. Yep, move the bottleneck further up the stack and expand as needed. <laughs> well, that's just, that's just the story of uh, enterprise infrastructure, computing infrastructure, isn't it? Just moving bottlenecks. That's yes, all we is. do. We move yes, bottlenecks here or there or somewhere else, and eventually we'll will encounter it again and have to move it uh, yet again. So uh, keeps, keeps you on your toes, right? <laughs> well, honestly, all this stuff keeps you on your toes. So uh, what do you think? Uh, our premise today was that uh, composable infrastructure was going to save the data center from the menace of the cloud or the menace of whatever. Do you think that's going to happen? Uh, let's start with uh, let's start with David this time. I think it is because the the act of having the automation in the cloud has now become for, front and for, foremost in people's minds. They love the automation, but then look at the price, look at the data proximity, look at the locality, look at the act of moving the data around. I need that flexibility on-prem. To me, just, just like George said, virtualization was a really good response to that. I think this is the next logical evolution of that response. How about you, Fred? Uh, does this make sense to you? Yeah, I do. I mean, I, I think the public cloud showed us that with a lot of automation, you can make it a lot easier to consume, right? Let's ignore the, the cost perspective to it. At the same time, um, the reality is, is that if you, if you are very intensive or have a very intensive workloads and you run for a long time, it's not the automation that is, that is going to kill you. It's the cost to it. So I do believe that that on-premises solution or evolution of on-premises solutions like composability on-prem is, is, is the right way to go. And again, it's an evolution, right? It's, it's, it's not an end point. We're, we're just in a journey where everything is moving forward. But there are, there are cases where public cloud is good. There are, there are reasons why you would stay, stay on-premises. There are reasons why you would leave on-premises. Uh, so there's a little bit for everybody. But I do think if you talk specifically about AI, um, the tendency would be to go on-premises with composability. Excellent. And George, uh, last word. Uh, yeah. So I'm, uh, I, I'm pretty much a cynic. 
Uh, I always have been, but I, I really, th I really believe that uh, that this is kind of the great equalizer. Um, I, I don't, the clouds are not going away, but I think this, this will create some level of parity from a, you know, flexibility and agility standpoint that gives people the opportunity to put their infrastructure on prem when it makes sense and put it in the cloud when it makes sense, but do so for, you know, for reasons other than being on prem stinks because it's just a pain in the butt, you know? Well, thank you so much. Uh, thank you everybody for joining us with the uh, episode of the On-Premise IT Roundtable podcast. Uh, let's go around the corner here and uh, see uh, where can we connect with you and uh, learn more and continue the conversation. Fred? Yeah, so you can always find me on Twitter or, or LinkedIn. Um, I work mostly on data management items with, with customers. And uh, I'm a frequent, I'm, I, I guess now I can say I'm a frequent uh, podcasts um, presenter on AI utilities. So, How about you, George? Yeah, so you can find me, uh, I'm not on Twitter, but you can find me on LinkedIn, uh, GR Wagner. Uh, you can also find me at uh, liquid.com. I've written plenty of blogs in there and hope to be on more of these with, uh, with Stephen going forward. I've done them in the past and I love them. Yeah, and you can find me out at Twitter. My, uh, if it hasn't been obvious already, my handle is Klee Geek because I wear that moniker loud and proud. Uh, I'm on LinkedIn at uh, David A. Klee, and you can catch my infrequently updated blogs at davidklee.net and heraflux.com. And I'm Stephen Foskett, organizer of Tech Field Day and publisher of Gestalt IT. You can find me on most social media networks at S. Foskett. You can also hear my podcast, Utilizing AI, every Tuesday. And of course, the uh, on-premise IT roundtable, which I co-host with my compadre, Tom Hollingsworth on Tuesdays as well. And of course, on Wednesday, you can join Tom and I for the Gestalt IT rundown. So thank you very much for joining us for this episode of the on-premise IT roundtable. If you enjoyed this discussion, please do subscribe, rate and review the show, but more importantly, please share it with your friends and other geeks like us. This podcast is brought to you by GestaltIT.com, your home for IT coverage from across the enterprise. For show notes and more episodes, go to GestaltIT.com slash podcast. Thanks for joining us, and we'll see you next time.